Section 4 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1, by Thomas Stevens. Section 4, Part 2, Over the Deserts of Nevada, Part 2. Tonight I stay in Winnemucca, the county seat of Humboldt County, and quite a lively little town of 1,200 inhabitants. What'll you have is the first word on entering the hotel, and won't you take a bottle of whiskey along is the last word on leaving it next morning. There are Paiutes and Paiutes camped at Winnemucca, and in the morning I meet a young brave on horseback a short distance out of town, and let him try his hand with the bicycle. I wheel him along a few yards and let him dismount, and then I show him how to mount, and invite him to try it himself. He gallantly makes the attempt, but springs forward with too much energy, and over he topples, with the bicycle cavorting around on top of him. This satisfies his aboriginal curiosity, and he smiles and shakes his head when I offer to swap the bicycle for his Mustang. The road is heavy with sand all along by Winnemucca, and but little riding is to be done. The river runs through green meadows of rich bottomland hereabouts, but the meadows soon disappear as I travel eastward. Twenty miles east of Winnemucca, the river and railroad pass through the canyon in a low range of mountains, while my route lies over the summit. It is a steep trundle up the mountains, but from the summit a broad view of the surrounding country is obtained. The Humboldt River is not a beautiful stream, and for the greater part of its length it meanders through alternate stretches of dreary sagebrush plain and low sand hills. At long intervals, passing through a canyon in some barren mountain chain. But distance lends enchantment to the view, and from the summit of the mountain pass even the Humboldt looks beautiful. The sun shines on its waters, giving it a sheen, and for many a mile its glistening surface can be seen, winding its serpentine course through the broad, gray-looking sage and greasewood plains, while at occasional intervals narrow patches of green in striking contrast to the surrounding gray show where the hardy mountain grasses venturously endeavor to invade the domains of the autocratic sagebrush what is that queer-looking little reptile half lizard half frog that scuttles about among the rocks it is different from anything i've yet seen around the back of its neck and along its sides and in a less prominent degree all over its yellowish-gray body are small horn-like protuberances that give the little fellow a very peculiar appearance ah i know who he is i've heard of him and have seen his picture in books i am happy to make his acquaintance he is pricky the famed horned toad of nevada on this mountain spur between the golconda mining camp and iron point is the only place I have seen him on the tour. He is a very interesting little creature, more lizard than frog, perfectly harmless, and his little bead-like eyes are bright and fascinating as the eyes of a rattlesnake. 
alkali flats abound and some splendid riding is to be obtained east of iron point just before darkness closes down over the surrounding area of plain and mountain i reach stone house section house yes i guess we can get you a bite of something but it'll be cold is the answer vouchsafed in reply to my query about supper being more concerned these days about the quantity of provisions i can command than the quality the prospect of a cold supper arouses no ungrateful emotions i would rather have a four-pound loaf and a shoulder of mutton for supper now than a smaller quantity of extra-choice viands and i manage to satisfy the cravings of my inner man before leaving the table but what about a place to sleep for some inexplicable reason these people refuse to grant me even the shelter of their roof for the night they are not keeping hotel they say which is quite true they have a right to refuse even if it is twenty miles to the next place and they do refuse there's the empty chinese bunkhouse over there you can crawl in there if you aren't afeard of ghosts is the parting remark as the door closes and leaves me standing like an outcast on the dark barren plain a week ago this bunkhouse was occupied by a gang of Chinese railroaders who got to quarreling among themselves, and the quarrel wound up in quite a tragic poisoning affair that resulted in the death of two and nearly killed a third. The Chinese are nothing if not superstitious, and since this affair no Chinaman would sleep in the bunkhouse or work on this section, consequently the building remains empty. The spooks of murdered Chinese are everything but agreeable company. Nevertheless, they are preferable to inhospitable whites, and I walk over to the house and stretch my weary frame in, for aught I know, the same bunk in which, but a few days ago, reposed the ghastly corpses of the poisoned celestials. Despite the unsavory memories clinging around the place and my pillowless and blanketless couch, I am soon in the land of dreams. It is scarcely presumable that one would be blessed with rosy-hued visions of pleasure under such conditions. However, in near midnight I awaken a cold shiver. The snowy mountains rear their white heads up in the silent night, grim and ghostly all around, and make the midnight air chilly even in midsummer. I lie there, trying in vain to doze off again, for it grows perceptively cooler. At two o'clock I could stand it no longer, and so get up and strike out for Battle Mountain, twenty miles ahead. The moon has risen, it is two-thirds full, and a more beautiful sight than the one that now greets my exit from the bunkhouse, it is scarcely possible to conceive. Only those who have been in this intermountain country can have any idea of a glorious moonlight night in the clear atmosphere of this dry, elevated region. It is almost as light as day, and one can see to ride quite well wherever the road is rideable. The pale moon seems to fill the whole broad valley with a flood of soft silvery light. The peaks of many snowy mountains loom up white and spectral. The stilly air is broken by the excited yelping of a pack of coyotes noisily baying the pale yellow author of all this loveliness and the wild, unearthly scream of an unknown bird or animal coming from some mysterious, undefinable quarter completes an ideal western picture, a poem, a dream, 
that fully compensates for the discomfort of the preceding hour. The inspiration of this beautiful scene awakes the slumbering poesy within, and I am inspired to compose a poem, Moonlight in the Rockies, that I expect some day to see the world go into raptures over. A few miles from the Chinese shanty I pass a party of Indians camped by the side of the road. They are squatting around the smoldering embers of a sagebrush fire, sleeping and dozing. I am riding slowly and carefully along the road that happens to be rideable just here, and am fairly past them before being seen. As I gradually vanish in the moonlit air, I wonder what they think it was, that strange-looking object that so silently and mysteriously glided past. It is safe to warrant they think me anything but flesh and blood, as they rouse each other and peer at my shadowy form disappearing in the dim distance. From Battle Mountain my route leads across a low alkali bottom, through which dozens of small streams are flowing to the Humboldt. Many of them are narrow enough to be jumped, but not with a bicycle on one shoulder, for under such conditions there is always a disagreeable uncertainty that one may disastrously alight before he gets ready. But I am getting tired of partially undressing to ford streams that are little more than ditches every little way, and so I hit upon the novel plan of using the machine for a vaulting pole. Beaching it out into the center of the stream, I place one hand on the head and the other on the saddle and vault over, retaining my hold as I alight on the opposite shore. Pulling the bicycle out after me, the thing is done. There is no telling to what uses this two-wheeled creature could be put in case of necessity. Certainly the inventor never expected it to be used for a vaulting pole and leaping across streams. Twenty-five miles east of Battle Mountain the valley of the Humboldt widens into a plain of some size, through which the river meanders with many a horseshoe curve, and maps out the pot-hooks and hangers of our childhood days in mazy profusion. Amid these innumerable curves and counter-curves, clumps of willows and tall blue-joint reeds grow thickly, and afford shelter to thousands of pelicans that here make their homes far from the disturbing presence of man. All unconscious of impending difficulties, I follow the wagon trail leading through this valley, until I find myself standing on the edge of the river, ruefully looking around for some avenue by which I can proceed on my way. I am in the bend of a horseshoe curve, and the only way to get out is to retrace my footsteps for several miles which disagreeable performance I naturally feel somewhat opposed to doing. Casting about me, I discover a couple of old fence-posts that have floated down from the Beowawe settlement above and lodged against the bank. I determined to try and utilize them in getting the machine across the river, which is not over thirty yards wide at this point. Swimming across with my clothes first, I tie the bicycle to the fence-posts, which barely keep it from sinking, and manage to navigate it successfully across. The village of Beowawe is full of cowboys who are preparing for the annual spring round-up. Whites, Indians, and Mexicans compose the motley crowd. They look a wild lot, with their bearskin chaparejos and semi-civilized trappings, 
galloping to and fro in and about the village i can't spare the time or i would is my slightly untruthful answer to an invitation to stop over for the day and have some fun briefly told this latter with the cowboy consists in getting hilariously drunk and then turning his pop loose at anything that happens to strike his whiskey bedeviled fancy as presenting a fitting target now a bicycle above all things would intrude itself upon the notice of a cowboy on a tear as a peculiar and conspicuous object especially if it had a man on it so after taking a smile with them for good fellowship and showing them the modus operandi of riding the wheel i consider it wise to push on up the valley three miles from beowawe is seen the celebrated maiden's grave on a low hill or bluff by the roadside and thereby hangs a tale in early days a party of emigrants were camped nearby at gravelly ford waiting for the waters to subside so they could cross the river when a young woman of the party sickened and died a rudely carved headboard was set up to mark the spot where she was buried years afterward when the railroad was being built through here the men discovered this rude headboard all alone on the bleak hilltop and were moved by worthy sentiment to build a rough stone wall around it to keep off the ghoulish coyotes and later on the superintendent of the division erected a large white cross which now stands in plain view of the railroad on one side of the cross is written the simple inscription maiden's grave on the other her name lucinda duncan leaving the bicycle by the roadside i climb the steep bluff and examine the spot with some curiosity there are now twelve other graves beside the original maiden's grave for the people of beowawe and the surrounding country have selected this romantic spot on which to inter the remains of their departed friends this afternoon i follow the river through humboldt canyon in preference to taking a long circuitous route over the mountains the first noticeable things about this canyon are the peculiar watermarks plainly visible on the walls high up above where the water could possibly rise while its present channels of escape exist unobstructed it is thought that the country east of the spur of the red range which stretches clear across the valley at Beowawe, and through which the Humboldt seems to have cut its way, was formerly a lake, and that the water gradually wore a passageway for itself through the massive barrier, leaving only the high water marks on the mountainsides to tell of the mighty change. In this canyon, the rocky walls tower like gigantic battlements, grim and gloomy on either side, and the seething, boiling waters of the Humboldt that for once awakens from its characteristic lethargy and madly plunges and splutters over a bed of jagged rocks which seem to have been tossed into its channel by some herculean hand fill this mighty rift in the mountains with a never-ending roar it has been threatening rain for the last two hours and now the first peal of thunder i have heard on the whole journey awakens the echoing voices of the canyon and rolls and rumbles along the great jagged fissure like an angry monster muttering his mighty wrath peal after peal follow each other in quick succession the vigorous newborn echoes of one peal 
seeming angrily to chase the receding voices of its predecessor from cliff to cliff and from recess to projection along its rocky erratic course up the canyon vivid flashes of forked lightning shoot athwart the heavy black cloud that seems to rest on either wall roofing the canyon with a ceiling of awful grandeur sheets of electric flame light up the dark shadowy recesses of the towering rocks as they play along the ridges and hover on the mountain tops while large drops of rain begin to patter down gradually increasing with the growing fury of their battling allies above until a heavy drenching downpour of rain and hail compels me to take shelter under an overhanging rock at four p m i reach palisade a railroad village situated in the most romantic spot imaginable under the shadows of the towering palisades that hover above with a sheltering care as if their special mission were to protect it from all harm evidently these mountains have been rent in twain by an earthquake and this great gloomy chasm left open for one can plainly see that the two walls represent two halves of what was once a solid mountain curious caves are observed in the face of the cliffs and one more conspicuous than the rest has been christened maggie's bower in honor of a beautiful scottish maiden who with her parents once lingered in a neighboring creek bottom for some time recruiting their stock but all is not romance and beauty even in the glorious palisades of the humboldt for great glaring patent medicine advertisements are painted on the most conspicuously beautiful spots of the palisades business enterprise is of course to be commended and encouraged but it is really annoying that one cannot let his aesthetic soul that is constantly yearning for the sublime and beautiful rest in gladsome reflection on some beautiful object without at the same time being reminded of corns and biliousness and all the multifarious evils that flesh is heir to it grows pitchy dark ere i leave the canyon on my way to carlin farther on the gorge widens and thick underbrush intervenes between the road and the river from out the brush i see peering two little round phosphorescent balls like two miniature moons turned in my direction i wonder what kind of an animal it is as i trundle along through the darkness revolver in hand ready to defend myself should it make an attack i think it is a mountain lion as they seem to be plentiful in this part of nevada late as it is when i reach carlin the boys must see how a bicycle is ridden and as there is no other place suitable i manage to circle around the pool table in the hotel bar room a few times nearly scalping myself against the bronze chandelier in the operation i hasten however to explain that these proceedings took place immediately after my arrival lest some worldly wise over sagacious person should be led to suspect them to be the riotous undertakings of one who had smiled with the boys once too often little riding is possible all through this section of nevada and in order to complete the forty miles a day that i have rigorously imposed upon myself i sometimes get up and pull out at daylight it is scarcely more than sunrise when following the railroad through five mile canyon another rift through one of the many mountain chains that cross this part of nevada in all directions under the general name 
of the Humboldt Mountains, I meet with a startling adventure. I am trundling through the canyon alongside the river when, rounding the sharp curve of a projecting mountain, a tawny mountain lion is perceived trotting leisurely along ahead of me, not over a hundred yards in advance. He hasn't seen me yet. He is perfectly oblivious to the fact that he is in the presence. A person of ordinary discretion would simply have revealed his presence by a gentlemanly sneeze or a slight noise of any kind when the lion would have immediately bolted back into the underbrush. Unable to resist the temptation, I fired at him, and of course missed him, as a person naturally would at a hundred yards with a bulldog revolver. The bullet must have singed him a little, though, for instead of wildly scooting for the brush, as I anticipated, he turns savagely round and comes bounding rapidly toward me, and at twenty paces crouches for a spring. Laying his cat-like head almost on the ground, his round eyes flashing fire and his tail angrily waving to and fro, he looks savage and dangerous. Crouching behind the bicycle, I fired him again. Nine times out of ten a person will overshoot the mark with a revolver under such circumstances, and being anxious to avoid this, I do the reverse and fire too low. The ball strikes the ground just in front of his head, and throws the sand and gravel in his face, and perhaps in his wicked round eyes, for he shakes his head, springs up, and makes off into the brush. I shall shed blood of some sort yet before I leave Nevada. There isn't a day that I don't shoot at something or other, and all I ask of any animal is to come within two hundred yards, and I will squander a cartridge on him, and I never fail to hit the ground. At Elko, where I take dinner, I make the acquaintance of an individual rejoicing in the sobriquet of Alkali Bill, who has the largest and most comprehensive views of any person I ever met. He has seen a paragraph, something about me riding round the world, and he considerately takes upon himself the task of summing up the few trifling obstacles that I shall encounter on the way round. There is only a small rise at Sherman he rises to explain, and another still smaller at the Alleghenies. All the balance is downhill to the Atlantic. Of course you'll have to boat it across the Frog Pond, and then there's Europe. Mostly level, so is Asia, except the Himalayas, and you can soon cross them, then you're all hunky, for there's no mountains to speak of in China. Evidently Alkali Bill is a person who points the finger of scorn at small ideas, and leaves the bothersome details of life to other and smaller-minded folks. In his vast and glorious imagery, he sees a centaur-like cycler skimming like a frigate-bird across states and continents, scornfully ignoring sandy deserts and bridgeless streams, halting for nothing but oceans, and only slowing up a little when he runs up against a peak that bobs up its twenty thousand feet of snowy grandeur serenely in his path. What a Caesar is lost to this benighted world, because in its blindness it will not search out such men as Alkali, and ask them to lead it onward to deeds of inconceivable greatness. Alkali Bill can whittle more chips in an hour than some men could in a week. Much of the Humboldt Valley, through which my road now runs, 
is at present flooded from the vast quantities of water that are pouring into it from the ruby range of mountains now visible to the southeast and which have the appearance of being the snowiest of any since leaving the sierras only yesterday i threatened to shed blood before i left nevada and sure enough my prophecy is destined to speedy fulfillment just east of the Asino canyon and where the north fork of the humboldt comes down from the north and joins the main stream is a stretch of swampy ground on which swarms of wild ducks and geese are paddling about i blaze away at them and a poor inoffensive gosling is no more while writing my notes this evening in a room adjoining the bar at halleck near the united states fort of the same name i overhear a boozy soldier modestly informing his comrades that forty-five miles an hour is no unusual speed to travel with a bicycle gradually i am nearing the source of the humboldt and at the town of wells i bid it farewell for good wells is named from a group of curious springs near the town they are supposed to be extinct volcanoes now filled with water and report says that no sounding line has yet been found long enough to fathom the bottom some day when some poor unsuspecting tenderfoot is peering inquisitively down one of these well-like springs the volcano may suddenly come into play again and convert the water into steam that will shoot him clear up into the moon these volcanoes may have been soaking in water for millions of years but they are not to be trusted on that account they can be depended upon to fill some citizen full of lively surprise one of these days everything here is surprising you look across the desert and see flowing water and waving trees but when you get there with your tongue hanging out and your fate well-nigh sealed you are surprised to find nothing but sand and rocks you climb a mountain expecting to find trees and birds eggs and you are surprised to find high water marks and seashells finally you look in the looking-glass and are surprised to find that the wind and exposure have transformed your nice blonde complexion to a semi-sable hue that would prevent your own mother from recognizing you the next day when nearing the entrance to mautella pass over the goose creek range i happened to look across the mingled sagebrush and juniper spruce brush to the right and a sight greets my eyes that causes me to instinctively look around for a tall tree though well knowing that there is nothing of the kind for miles neither is there any rideable road near or i might try my hand at breaking the record for a few miles standing bolt upright on their hind legs by the side of a clump of juniper spruce bushes and intently watching my movements are a pair of full-grown cinnamon bears when a bear sees a man before the man happens to descry him and fails to betake himself off immediately it signifies that he is either spoiling for a fight or doesn't care a continental password whether war is declared or not moreover animals recognize the peculiar advantages of two to one in a fight equally with their human inferior superiors and those two over there are apparently in no particular hurry to move on they don't seem awed at my presence 
on the contrary they look suspiciously like being undecided and hesitative about whether to let me proceed peacefully on my way or not their behavior is outrageous they stare and stare and stare and look quite ready for a fight i don't intend one to come off though if i can avoid it i prefer to have it settled by arbitration i haven't lost these bears they aren't mine and i don't want anything that doesn't belong to me i am not covetous so lest i should be tempted to shoot at them if i come within the regulation two hundred yards i edge off a few hundred yards in the other direction and soon have the intense satisfaction of seeing them stroll off toward the mountains i wonder if i don't owe my escape on this occasion to my bicycle do the bright spokes glistening in the sunlight as they revolve make an impression on their bearish intellects that influences their decision in favor of a retreat it is perhaps needless to add that all through this mountain pass i keep a loose eye busily employed looking out for bears but nothing more of a bearish nature occurs and the early gloaming finds me at tacoma a village near the utah boundary line there is an awful calamity of some sort hovering over this village one can feel it in the air the habitués of the hotel barroom sit around listless and glum when they speak at all it is to predict all sorts of difficulties for me in my progress through utah and wyoming territories the black gnats of the salt lake mud flat will eat you clean up snarls one bare rivers flooding the hull country up Weber canyon way growls another the slickest thing you can do stranger is to board the keers and get out of this says a third in a tone of voice and with an emphasis that plainly indicates his great disgust at this by this he means the village of tacoma and he's disgusted with it they are all disgusted with it and with the whole world this evening because tacoma is out of whiskey yes the village is destitute of whiskey it should have arrived yesterday and hasn't shown up yet and the effect on the society of the barroom is so depressing that i soon retire to my couch to dream of utah's strange intermingling of forbidding deserts and beautiful orchards through which my route now leads me end of section four part two over the Deserts of Nevada, Part 2 Recording by Pamela Krantz